Welcome to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. Your hosts, Danielle Sullivan, National Director at Curriculum Associates, and Sari Labaris, Social Communications Manager at Curriculum Associates, are here to share actionable tips, best practices, and success stories to improve your classroom and drive student learning. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Danielle. Hey, everyone. It's Sari, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast and our limited series for leadership. We know there is a lot Woo! happening right now. <laughs> super exciting stuff. We know there's a lot happening right now and we hope we can provide you with insights, tips, best practices, and breathing room from the critical work you do. We are here to support teaching and learning wherever it is taking place. And with us again for part two of her interview, we have Glenda Lise Martinez. So welcome back. Thanks for coming again. And if you could just reintroduce yourself for the folks who didn't tune into part one, um, then we'll dig in. Sure. Thanks, Sari. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks for having me here again. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. Uh, for those of you who did not listen last week, my name is Gundalise Martinez. I am a former high school teacher, teacher of English as a second language, former preschool teacher, college English teacher. I'm just a big time educator and learner all together. So I'm really excited to be here. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to share my thoughts. I'm happy y'all are listening to them. Um, but, you know, I'm just a lover of learning. So here I am. So last week you spoke about the book Cultivating Genius, um, which sounds incredible. Danielle and I both really want to read it now. And we will definitely link it in the show notes. But thinking about from a leader perspective, obviously, um, no one would say this isn't important, but perhaps a leader hasn't totally dug into this this year or you know, things happened this year that made the school year incredibly unique and, and other things are put on pause. So if I'm a leader listening and what I want to do this tomorrow, what are some things that either I could um, I could do to show teachers what should be done in their classrooms as a model? Or what are some things I could do as a leader to help this trickle down into the, the students that I serve? That's a that's a great question. Sorry, I have so many thoughts on that. So <laughs> right? I'm going to I'm just going to drop those. Um, Go for so it. for starters, I mean, let's just be honest here, right? Like a lot of this is, is, is race studies, right? It's, it's having conversations that people are either uncomfortable having, don't want to have, or are ready to have, right? That's, those are the three categories of folks essentially that you get when you're talking about um, racial justice, especially here in education, right? So if I'm, if I'm a leader in a school district, the first thing I want to think about is what my equity agenda is in a school district, right? So and it's not just okay. I'm gonna. I want to just detract my students, right? And that's a great start, getting rid of tracking. But what are we doing pedagogically with teachers in terms of how they've learned to teach students, what they need to unlearn in teaching students, right? Um, what kind of conversations are you having with your with your teachers? Um, are they having racial bias tr training? Uh, that's really important for so many reasons, because in our system, in, in our educational system, we've been taught to honor whiteness, okay? So when we have students of color walking into a classroom where whiteness is honored, we are devaluing an entire population of kids. We're devaluating, we're devaluing any student who's not white. So we're devaluing Native American students, we're devaluing Asian American students, um, we're devaluing our black and brown students, 
And um, it, it takes work for teachers to recognize their biases. It takes work for administrators to do so. Um, and in doing that work, other things are revealed. So when you start to dig into why we honor certain things, um, why we value skill and standard over students, um, and we don't look at how to teach skill and standards through the lens of a student who is not speaking, for example, the Queen's English, as we say, um, what does that actually say about us as the adults teaching those kids rather than what it says about the children? We, you know, when I think about the experiences that I had as a student, um, it, there was never a time where I, well, not that there was never, but it took a really long time for me to feel like I was seen as a student, um, culturally. And we have to start to think about what that means for, um, our educators too. I mean, like if you, if you, if you go into a school and you have a population that's mostly black and brown and you have white middle-class teachers teaching those students, there has to be a conversation about bias at the district level and how you train those teachers um, to do this work. <clears throat> and I think too, like before you move on, just the conversation is so much more important than the immediate action. Because say, for example, you do track all your students as a leader, you say, this is happening. Like if there's no explanation or buy-in from the teachers, then like, so what? Nothing's actually changing for those students, right? And so talking about it and like the, the safe space of a professional development or whatever it is, is so right. critical as a first step rather than just saying, okay, we're going to fix all these things and take action when Correct. teachers have no idea about the why. And I think some folks, and it's not a bad thing, right? It's a good intention, but, but you have to, teachers have to understand why these things are happening and have to want to make that decision for themselves, which is so much more powerful in, in the long run. No, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, I, I was on a call a couple of weeks ago, um, with a district who wanted to know where we stood in terms of bias and assessment. So um, we, I talked about it. I talked about what our goals are to decenter whiteness in our assessments. I talked about what that meant in terms of the product that they would eventually see at the school district um, from us, uh, what we're currently doing now in order to ensure that we're providing a non-biased assessment. But um, we've been doing the same thing in education for like the last forever, let's be honest, right? And in terms of intervention for black and brown students, we've been doing the same thing since, 19, since the 1980s, since Ronald Reagan was the president, right? And we have not seen shifts that are significant in the way that students are learning, in the way that students are performing at grade level. It's gotten worse. And yeah, it has. And <laughs> especially now during COVID, right? Like we have all oh, this yeah. learning loss and our most marginalized students are the ones who've suffered the most, right? Because maybe there's three kids in a household that share one dot, one desktop or one computer if if they have internet access at all. So, you know, we had to think about those things. Um, and we have to, I mean, it's just, it's our responsibility as educators to to stop centering ourselves and start centering the kids, right? So, I mean, it just... As an administrator, I think the, the biggest thing you can do is lead by example, right? Is, is be that person who's going to go into your school district, who's going to visit your principals, visit the kids, know their names, pronounce their names correctly, you know, 
validate their identities and say, hey, tell me more about who you are and let's go beyond Black History Month and teach our Black children every month about who they are, right? Like, let's not, let's not celebrate tacos all the time. You know, like, it's just, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's really surface level when we start to celebrate communities just like around holidays and say, okay, that's all we need to know about these people. Like, what do our communities value? That's really important. Like, morally, where do they stand? Like, there's so many assumptions about what our children or how our children grow up, but you know, those are stereotypical typically. Like, so if I'm a teacher and I am not of a community and I've only learned about that community via the internet, via the news, movies, um, it's a really skewed way to gain information about a particular community. And I think our students are the best ones to teach us. And the teachers are the best too. Like, I'm sure if you go to, I don't know, if you go to Washington Heights in Manhattan, you're going to have a couple of Dominican teachers in there who are going to be able to tell you uh, what Dominican culture is really all about so that you can share that in with teachers in those classrooms so that those students are seen and heard, right? And those parents are seen and heard and feel included. So, you know, community yeah, matters. I wanna, yeah, and I want to... Um, stop, pause you there because this is starting to layer on things we've talked about on the podcast before, like empathy and connection. And I think I've shared this quote from uh, Brene Brown before people are hard to hate close up. So let's move in. And empathy is putting yourself in other people's shoes yes. and, and creatively imagining what their experience is. And I think a lot of the times when you think about the connection of culturally responsive and social emotional learning, it is very segmented. Yeah. Like we're not just hugging. <laughs> social emotional learning isn't just giving hugs and ignoring everyone's experience. It's really seeing students for who they are, validating them as humans, validating their experiences. And how can you, and I think this is a tweetable, everybody, stop centering ourselves and start centering the students. That is yes. a huge shift for a lot of people. And I love, um, so as you're sharing this, I'm starting to think of some of the work that um, we've done, I've done, we've talked about with other educators is really truly seeing students for who they are and then getting to know them and how to teach who they are, not what I know to be true. And I'm going to just impart it on you for 180 days. You're welcome. That doesn't work. So I'm going to, I'm going to connect Brene Brown and Dr. Goldie Muhammad real quick uh, because <laughs> yes, please. Dr. Muhammad actually talks about empathy. And in her book, she just says empathy is the essence of what it means to be human. Um, and she focuses on the importance of humanizing our practices in our classrooms um, and humanizing our kiddos. Uh, so empathy is such a huge part of education and and it's not just the students experience also but the teachers experiences right so um it's just it's 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 just um interesting that like when it comes to empathy we don't think about how one if one group of people is suffering that we all suffer right if one group of people is oppressed, we're 
all oppressed. Um, and, and that's the lens that administrators should be taken. Like if one group of students is marginalized, then all students are marginalized because no one is getting 100% of the experience they should be getting in that school or in that district um, because everyone is not having the same experience as a learner, as a human in the school district. So, so I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna send you that page, Danielle, so that you can find that, read that and make that connection. <laughs> I would love it. And I'm, and I'm, that's the work that I'm doing moving forward too, is really helping to connect all the dots. Because again, even when you think of emotional curriculum, culturally responsive curriculum, they are not mutually exclusive, but they are still in silos when we're thinking about it moving forward. It just, and they can't be like, we can't, we can't just keep them in silos. Like we, everything, like a child is a whole child that has multi levels of experiences and thoughts and feelings. And we want to make sure that we're really meeting students where they are, because until we can truly see them for what they need, what they bring to the table, um, all the things we say about asset-based philosophy, like how, what are, what are their strengths? Then we can move them forward, which is a lot of the work that we're doing with the data, because if you can have honest conversations with students around data, understand their experience, and then move them in the right direction, but then it's what are we putting in front of them? We want them to be able to be seen in the resources we're also guiding them through. So it all ties together. And if they're struggling, you can't just shove them through a math problem. You just can't. It doesn't work. That does not work, everybody. I don't know if you feel like that works, but it doesn't at all. I think too, we forget the power in like how much they're going to learn from each other too. And, and knowing others have shared experiences. I'm not talking about like their, their diagnostic score. I'm talking about the other piece of, of their home life and their culture and what they bring. Um, and just how powerful is that to know like, oh, wow, not the only one that does X right. or that sees Y. Right. Um, and, and for them to, to understand that too. So what I would love to know, what is an activity to help um, kind of solidify what we're talking about that you could share with leaders? Is there something um, that they could maybe take immediately? Yes. Yes. There are so many. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my experience and then I'm going to talk about the book and then I'm going to tell you how that all tied up in a bow. Right. So, and I talk, I actually mentioned this often. Um, I actually wrote my biology teacher, Mr. Tim Landenberger, shout out to Mr. Landenberger, I'm not Hershey's school. Um, when I was in 10th grade, uh, first day of school in Mr. Landenberger's class, he was going through the role. And of course my, my, my maiden name is Almonte. So I'm the first person who got called in class and he mispronounced my first name. I forgot what he said, um, or how he pronounced it, but I said, Oh, it's Glenda Lee, but you can call me Glenda. It's fine. And he was like, you know, he turned around. He goes, I will not call you Glenda. That's not the name your mom gave you. Your name is Glenda Lee, and you should make white people like me learn how to pronounce your name. And then he goes, he like went on to tell us about his kids, why he named them Hans and Lars, the importance of their names, their connection to their culture. And I don't know, at the time, I had no idea why that stuck with me, right? Like, why this one experience and all, I think everybody in that class was just like, that was weird. Cause we're in 10th grade. What do we know? Right. But as time has gone on and as I've continued to do this work, I, I think about how radical, radical, I'm using air quotes, people, some of my teachers were 
at my school in high school, um, specifically him and my and my coach and math teacher, Miss Miss Sharon Henry. Um, but I, I think about that because Mr. Landenberger was all the way an anti-racist teacher at that time, and I didn't even realize it, right? Um, so when I was reading Dr. Muhammad's book, she actually talks about giving children an assignment where they get to write about their names and talk about their names and providing that because it helps to establish their identity in their classroom and in that space. Um, so administrators, that might be an opportunity for you to just do that activity with, with your teachers when you're doing training, like the opening activity is about their names. Where did their names come from? What are they tied to? What does that mean? How does, how does that inform who they are and why were they named that name? I mean, this is now we're building identity for folks in that space to create a space where everybody in that space is gonna know one another on a deeper level than just, hey, my name is Linda Lease, right? So um, that's just one example of what Dr. Muhammad suggests. I mean, she has layers of lessons. And the cool thing that I learned um, here is like when I when I started writing the, reading the book, I thought the framework, you know, when you see different frameworks in my mind, the framework covered each one of the different parts of it at different times, but that's not the case. The way that she writes her lessons are actually all all four of the of the topics are in a lesson plan. So if the main topic is to discuss Haitian culture, then there's going to be something that I, that focuses on identity for literature. And then she goes by for for developing skill, it's specific to content area. And then when we're developing intellect, it's tied back to that original topic. And then when we're doing criticality, now we ask the question about, in this case, how did the earthquake affect the Haitian culture? So, you know, there it, it's all tied together to it's thematic, it's knowledge building, and then it's also building student identity, building student criticality, building student skills. So it's it's an incredible way to teach and it makes so much sense. It's like it's it just makes sense. There's like, I don't even know why we don't teach this way because it, it's the most like sensible way to approach a classroom where you have multiple and you're going to because it's you know 2021 in the United States, um, where you have students from multiple backgrounds, right? Um, and it's the best way to teach truth and honesty. So, you know, I can't talk about how great this is. I cannot talk and and here's the thing, administrators. In her, t I don't know, I feel like I'm like promoting her book, but in her text, she talks about how teachers can use it. She has two different um, lines of thought. So it's how, how you use this in a classroom and how administrators can use it at the end of every section. So it's explicit, y'all. It is explicit. I'm just saying that. Right. And that's something that you could do as a book club. Um, you yes. could do that at your school. You could have educators read it, uh, be, be really purposeful. Like some of the things mm -hmm. that I heard you say, Glenda Lee's are just the story of the name is very powerful. I've done that actually. in when I was a teacher, we did that at our school and it was really helpful as a professional development, a beginning of the year opener. And it's, it's very interesting what you discover and uncover with that activity. So I highly recommend that activity. And then 
really being purposeful with the conversations. That's what we talked about with part one, just really digging in. And I love the question that uh, Glenda Lee's asked, what is my equity agenda? So as a leader, what are you thinking about with equity? What's the agenda? How are we having those essential conversations and using resources, even us at Curriculum Associates, we have an anti-racist book club going, like we're um, rallying around different texts to gain greater understanding. And isn't that the whole joy of reading, introducing specific ideas of thought and being a critical thinker and consumer of that information? That's what we're teaching our students to do. So why not do that with your staff as well? Uh, We could literally talk to you all day. And I wish we could, but unfortunately, that is all the time we do have today. What is one last thing, uh, a last idea you want to share or a parting, any parting wisdom as uh, leaders are listening to you? My last idea is lead with love. Lead your students with love, lead your teachers with love, and everything will follow. That is Great. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time to be with us today. It was such a pleasure talking with you and um, we definitely will have you again in the future. That is for sure. Yes. Thank you so much. Where can they, yeah, where can they follow us? What's, what's next? Yes. Follow along as always at curriculum social on Twitter and at my iReady on Instagram. We'll link both of those in the show notes, as well as all of the great resources and the book that Glendalise mentioned um, in this episode and the previous episode. If you did not tune into part one, I highly recommend hearing more about the book um, and all of her expertise. And thanks again for being with us today. Um, if you have feedback about the podcast, a topic of interest, or want to be a guest, please email extraordinaryeducators at cainc.com. This is about you. We are here for you. So until we meet again, be you, be true, be extraordinary. This podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates and is the copyrighted material and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates.